Uh, what well, which which tween was it where I nearly Tico Brahe'd myself? Uh, I think it was Nisi Monogatari where I was seriously worrying about <laughs> wetting myself at the end of that podcast. <laughs> Uh, and we kept having good things to say, and meanwhile, I felt like I was up to my eyeballs with your. <laughs> so, yeah. Hopefully, that won't happen again. Yeah, we we do have the ability to like cut things and edit things because we're not live. No, so, no. <laughs> <laughs> we're always doing it live. Hello and welcome to Keyframes in Betweens, a mini podcast about anime. I'm your host, Ben Halliburton, and with me is Jeff. Hello! It's been a minute, but we're back with more Monogatari series. Yeah. <laughs> we watched the Kizu Monogatari trilogy. Uh, this is the kind of prequel story to Baki Monogatari. They are Tenketsen, Neketsen, and Reiketsen. Um, which I think just means first part, second part, and third part. Uh, I'm. Pr- it maybe it does. I know in some places the three movies are denoted as iron blooded, uh, hot blooded, and cold blooded. Oh no, that's right then. Yeah, because because uh, Ray is iron. Well, there you go. Yeah, that's her. Those are her three epithets. Yeah. The uh, the vampire who forms one of the two, one of the three actually main characters of the Kizumono Gitari story. That is uh, Kiss Shot, Arisiola, Orion, Heart, Under Blade, Kill Me Now. So, okay, so let's let's just jump right into the weeds. Do you sure. think that in Monogatari world, all foreigners just have really dumb names? No, no, uh, this is going to be completely out of sequence. But the fact is, when, when she turns, when Kiss Shot, or Heart, Under Blade, as she prefers to be called by those she's not so close to... Uh, talks to uh Aragi Koyomi who she's turned into a vampire she's like you don't even have a name now you have to get a new name and so this is 100% the name that she came up with herself uh Dr. McNinja style <laughs> uh after being turned into a vampire 500 years ago that's that's I don't care if that's not canon that's hmm. head canon <laughs> because like there's definitely like, cuz there's definitely like name stuff going on in Monogatari mm. like everybody oh, has oh, like oh, the really? most the most fucking elaborate constructions of their names, like Hanakawa Subasa, is like two different words for wings that are mismatched. But you know, and yeah, and, and they do uh, Aragi's name, where it's like, uh, where it's like one, the symbol for one, the symbol for family, and then uh, Kiyomi, as in yeah. It, they, I always like how uh, they J- Japan does that, where they have to explain what character they're being used to do what sound. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's the uh, to reference perennial keyframes favorite blue blazes um they have the uh the parent joke where uh, yamaga when they met uh tezuka he's like i'm yamaga yama like mountain <laughs> <Plus ga." laughs> and he, like, which is yes that's the only sound for yamaga for like yama so it was it was very uh apparently they were really embarrassed by that but yamaga obviously did fine he's a producer guy next still Anyway, we were deep in the weeds. Yeah, let's get out of the weeds and pretend like we actually know how to structure a podcast. Uh, but um, so we, the story of Kizumonogatari is the story of how Araragi Kiyomi meets a cute girl, sees her panties, is too excited to sleep, 
walks out and encounters a vampire who he is kind of guilted into giving his blood. In gratitude, she turns him into a vampire and he agrees to help her get all of her limbs back, which were taken by a trio of vampire hunters, one vampire, one half vampire, and one human, but obviously with the DNA of guts from Berserk in his blood. And uh, after the limbs are returned, plus the heart, which was secretly stolen by Meme Oshino, a monster hunter, uh, she is restored and Aragi immediately realizes that uh, vampires kill people. And if there's one thing that Aragi is actually willing to have a moral stance on, it's that killing people is wrong, Mm -hmm. Uh, which has depressing consequences when he realizes that this entire setup was arranged so that he could kill the vampire kiss shot Ariciola Orion Hart under blade and grant her death after 500 years of life which she's frankly tired of uh, and he refuses to do so and instead turns her into a childlike chibi version of herself that has to live in a shadow and that's a happy ending I guess <laughs> Now, this is my first time watching these because when the first movie came out in uh, January 2016, uh, I was like, oh, wait until the rest of the series is out because Japanese movies have a quicker turnaround. These actually came out six months apart in August 2016 and then again in January 2017. And so I was like, oh, I'll wait for all three to come out. And then I just never came back to them. So this is... This is uh, I mean, when you left me, you were but a learner, but now you're the master. <laughs> Yeah, this is my third time watching it. Oh, Jesus, Jeff. And I, wa- and I read the book. <laughs> Magnificent bastard. God, I, but... I, I'm, I'm not normally like this. <laughs> <laughs> you're not crazy. You're just a little unwell. Yeah. Well, okay. So so why did you watch this three times, Jeff? Um, well, I mean, to, to pull back the kimono, I watched it the first time because I was watching it for the first time, and I was deeply obsessed with Monogatari at the time. I watched it the second time because I thought we were going to record this episode, like, three months ago. <laughs> and then I watched it again because I needed to refresh it. But I did, I did, and like, I mean, and I've said this before, the, the best time to watch this uh, watch any Monogatari show is the second time because <laughs> you 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 know what's going to happen and you find all of the little things that they've like slipped in throughout it and because everything is just so dense with like symbolism and meaning like even this one which is like by far the least like complex it's it's nice to hear you say that and I hope that you just haven't been fully taken over by the virus inside your brain but like I found this fairly shallow and i didn't find a lot of like the delicious like language play or philosophy play to to engage with and it was actually light on humor Mm -hmm. and pretty much all it had was a different art style that combined a lot of like 3d graphics photographs and 2d animation of both finished and rough lines Mm -hmm. that was great and the action was great although some of the fight scenes took fucking forever yeah um but like how many times do we have to see Aragi get knocked around by a giant flying cross mm-hmm. um, for people who are attracted to Aragi's abs, probably the answer differs from mine, but I was done with that fight halfway through. So it's nice to hear that there's like more, more meat there. Cause I, I actually came, came off this wondering why this had to be movies besides the bigger budget. Yeah. Um, so 
Yeah, and yeah, and this is I think this is the first adaptation because like I don't know, I've also gone on at length about this before is that I I really like like the part of the reason that I've gone to the bother of reading the books and watching this multiple times is that I I, I really think the adaptations do a really good job of being transformative while also simultaneously being like slavishly devoted to the text if not necessarily how it is presented in the books because in the books everything is from the perspective of Aragi describing things and he has a tendency of like trying to cover him like trying to hide but also telling on himself mm-hmm. and as a result like in the movies you just like you just get to like see all this shit hanging out which you know we have a lot of in this one which is interesting because um I feel like they could have done that because there was an incredibly popular series that just came out just before the uh, Bakemonogatari that was heavily predicated on an extremely partial narrator slash viewpoint character. And that's the melancholy of Ruhi Suzumiya, where mm-hmm. we get everything through Kion. Um, and he, by the end of the first core, he openly admits that he's been editing stuff to cut out things that he finds bothersome or that make him look bad. Um, and, they did, chose not to do that here. Instead, they kind of chose to just bathe the world <laughs> of the anime in the kind of Araragi must. And it's it's yeah. just a world that works according to Araragi's increasingly perverted assumptions uh, of people and things. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so this was interesting because... Uh, this is an event that is referenced repeatedly mm-hmm. and almost as much like more more so the second most event is is just his the first stages of his friendship with Hanakaba, which we saw in the Nekomonogatari Black OVA. Um, but this event is referenced all the time. We always talks about that spring break uh, where I got turned into a vampire. And it's very interesting to see the outlines of the story as have been drilled into our head over and over versus the events that actually happen. Mm-hmm. And for instance, him meeting Hanakawa and that was the part that actually surprised me the most is because Hanakawa seems almost like a completely different person yeah. when Araki first meets her. And if I were to watch it again, one of the things I would look for is like, like how does she become this kind of placid, uh, petific, figure that just is above like Araragi's hauntness and his bullshit and the jealousy that I mean she must feel because when she meets him she's obviously head over heels that she's found a friend slash maybe something more and Araragi is incredibly freaked out by this and basically also doesn't seem like himself because of how Hanakawa makes him react mm-hmm. I don't know did you notice anything well do you have any any sentiments to share after three viewings so the first time i watched this i one of the things i found most off-putting was how much of a of a regression hanakawa goes through because Mm -hmm. in like airing order this was like one of the most recent things like i think it might have actually been after owari monogatari that it it was fully released and by then like you've seen you know you've already sort of seen you know, Hanakawa deep in her feelings and going through all of her shit and becoming one of the most like fully actualized people in the show. And then you, you like, you know, scream back in time to before even the events of Nekomonogatari Black, where you really get into like, you know, what is her deal? And she is this like, like you were saying, like 
like Monogatari in general really likes to sort of take tropes and then try to like work backwards to figure out how an actual person might be like that. You could argue that, like, you know, some of the conclusions that they come to are kind of weird, especially, you know, to the, d- the degree that they rely on, you know, supernatural intervention. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I don't think that would be misplaced in Hagenau's case. But, yeah, like, the, the first time I watched it, I was just like, I don't, I'm not interested in seeing this, like, very interesting, cool character be like this. And I mean, it was it was interesting almost as a historical artifact. Yeah. Because, like, we hear a lot about... Hanakawa's in, during her self inventories during these different episodes where she mm-hmm. moved forward as a character, we see her talk about who she feels she was yeah. before meeting Araragi, and it's interesting to see her as this incredibly, almost cringingly obliging people pleaser who's just who's just just heartbreakingly lonely mm-hmm. and heartbreakingly just wants someone to accept her for who she is. And to achieve that, she will be anybody. Yeah. And when <laughs> if, we when we meet her at the very beginning, she's sort of like, sort of half joking about the fact that she wants to meet a vampire. She's heard that there's a rumor that there's a vampire with blonde hair around town and that she mm-hmm. wants to run into it because she wants to like have something change in her life. Yeah. And she also encounters Aragi, and you know he knows who he she is generally, but he had you know he's this loner that, who has no other friends, which is just kind of like a thing that's always asserted about him. Like you don't really learn kind of why for like a long time. No, it feels like a it feels like a, a relic from the the novels where like he thinks he's a loner, mm-hmm. therefore. And the show, the show early on tries to arrange that by like not showing his extremely robust home life, yeah, um, and by turning every character who's not a named character into either ab- absent or a kind of broadly representational cutout, yeah. So. And and I think like and like a, a recurring theme with Araragi is that he he's a guy he like he's got that chudi syndrome where he will just kind of like decide some grand sweeping narrative about himself and then just kind of live by that so you know in one of in the events of one of the later books which like a a brief aside like every (laughs) every set of novels ends with nisio eason saying it's a shame we're never actually going to talk about any of this stuff again because this is the last novel and the publish (laughs) order is that a is that a bit or is that a i I it's it's impossible to tell because <laughs> that that person dude woman probably a dude almost certainly a dude yeah um and like every every time he write he, he finishes a monogatari book he says this book was written entirely as like fan fiction for myself nobody else should ever have looked at this and this is the last one I'll ever write and then you know he wrote Bakumonogatari and then he wrote Nisei Monogatari and said the same thing and then he wrote Kyuza Monogatari and said the same thing and and so on and so forth. And it wasn't really until, like, the novels that make up the second season came out that there was any indication that, actually, this is going to be, you know, a, a decent chunk of the series, and then, you know, then it'll be over, and then you talk to, started talking about doing another third season, regardless of, like, how serious it was. Like, this was, like, the second arc that the uh, that they wrote. Mm-hmm. And originally, Kiza Monogatari was supposed to be released much earlier, but... Yeah. So the so the way that Shaft works um, now, it didn't used to be this way, but it is now because uh, so the Shaft's the studio Shaft's star director is Shinbo Akiyuki, uh, who has done such great stuff as and yet the town moves and Sanrazetsu Sensei and 
there's not such great stuff like Makaku City actors. <laughs> but um, so at this point, and this is oftentimes how Japanese production works in general, he no longer directly directs stuff. He is the chief director. He basically like follows the director's, the actual director's work, makes suggestions as kind of in an advisory and executive role, as we might say in the West. Um, uh, this is actually funny because like, this is kind of Japanese corporate speak for being like the useless, like super upper management or like emeritus management. But in this case, I do think that like Shinbo's got such a unifying vision that like him being chief director and all these things does kind of provide a continuity of style in the studio, which some people like Andy will complain about because <laughs> they lack taste. Uh, so, so the actual director, I mean, sorry, the director, I suppose the chief director of Bakemonogatari was Oishi Tatsuya, uh, who is known for a few different things. Um, he did a, a Tsukiyomi moon phase. This is really like, big one that he did a lot of design for um but his main like his main coming out thing was bakemonogatari and that was like the big thing that was his first direction uh and he was supposed to do kizmonogatari next but he got very very ill <laughs> for like two years mm -hmm. and so they're like well we'll wait till he gets better and then we'll do kizmonogatari um and they planned it as a series but then he was he was sick and the show went on and at a certain point the only way that it could happen was through movies which is, makes it interesting to think of this as like a, a four or six episode OVA, which is probably how it was originally planned. Which is funny because I think it works very strongly as, as movies as opposed to, I can't imagine this being episodic, but maybe that's just how the, the, the script and the storyboards are put together. So yeah, so uh, as of now, he's only ever directed two things, Bakemonogatari and Kuzmonogatari, and I think he's continues to be in rather poor health and therefore it kind of comes and goes okay all right so to to jump back into my original tangent uh -huh. um there there's a definite sense of like like backstory in distant mountains that nisio eason sort of plays on where like the events of spring break and the events of golden week are sort of things that are constantly referenced and there was never like there was maybe never really uh, an, an intention to build those things out and as the novels progress like they're going more and more and more into like trying to sort of work backwards to make things more unified and to justify things more which is mm -hmm. why i think like like as the series continues it, like it becomes less strong like i think the like the the peak monogatari ends with nekamonogatari shiro which is the the sort mm -hmm. of the apotheosis of hanakawa because like the further they go, like, the more they sort of, like, need Araragi to be Araragi. And so, like, it, and, the, and, the, and to do that, they basically just keep adding more and more and more lore. Well, see, I would, I would actually nuance that as I think that the apotheosis of Monogatari is the end of uh, Monogatari's series second season, where Araragi is, like, the Hegelian vanishing mediator, uh, where, like, he's no longer there and everyone else is just... Mm -hmm. doing doing their own stuff without him and, and all he exists is as as an irritant or a, a spoiler <laughs> um but that's maybe just my relationship with araragi certainly yeah. the reason for araragi to be around is increasingly tenuous and i guess that's like the whole point of suki monogatari and stuff of just like stop it stop yeah. it <laughs> stop go away oh and the other other thing is that 
whenever like like all of these novels are from the perspective of a character typically araragi and frequently when you go into the head of another character you get a very different picture of who they think they are Mm -hmm. uh kambaru is like a a big change like her characterization uh in the in bakamonogatari versus in hanamonogatari when she is the narrator she is much more solemn she is much more serious and like you can kind of tell that her back and forth with Araragi is kind of a bit that they do. Yeah, I mean, in Araragi's eyes, she's just some sort of like weird lesbian masher fuck bunny, and it's very. I think one of the most beautiful things about Hanuman Guitari is seeing like, oh no, she's a person. Yeah, it's just Araragi who thinks that she's that it's Araragi who sees her as this thing. And so. and it's very similar with Hanakawa, where you know, in this is a series that we're seeing through Araragi's eyes, and so again, she is the uh, Hanakawa is this like extremely like forward, extremely like self like self sacrificing person who like he can't get his head around and then she's you know she explicitly tells him i'm only doing this because i want to do this this is like i'm a very selfish person and i think you that kind of pays off as the as the series progresses uh but again it kind of comes across as sort of like backfill like justification because it's really hard to tell if nisio eason had originally intended for this character to be as nuanced as they were and because the adaptations are so uh, slavishly devotional to the text, what we got is like the second book, but in viewing order, it's like the tenth thing. And so you've already seen all this other stuff. And so, like, the their back and forth in this series, you can it either becomes way more dark compared uh, based on what you already know about her, or it just comes across as like cheap. I, I find this sh- this movie crushingly dark, honestly, and, and large that that relates to how the action of the plot resolves. But, um, but I think it's we because the question the question that you exit, um, Bakemonogatari and and to a lesser extent Nisimonogatari with is like why Sinjogahara? Why doesn't Araki, you know, hook up with the woman who's carrying a torch like? like a, like the towering fucking inferno for him um and i think that how this shows us um the because we already know that like araragi can be stupid and cruel in in pursuit of what he thinks is morally righteous but i think this this we'll talk about this in detail as we kind of work through the plot in more detail but i think that the extent to which araragi is incredibly stupid and Un, unacceptably cruel to Hanakawa during this during this these three movies is it, it helps you understand why why Hanakawa would still have a crush on this guy but under no circumstances wants to date him and would honestly rather be friends with his girlfriend than with him because <laughs> <laughs> yeah because she comes on so hard to him and Aragi is is openly turned off and I think it's it's in their second meeting where he says that she she repels him yeah um that he's that he's revolted by her and she kind of just like takes that in stride and like modify like she, oh, just just the way that she's reaching I'm doing a a rewatch of Mad Men with a friend and it reminds me of just like Betty Draper's like loneliness where she just like is just waiting for someone to come find her and and there's no one there <laughs> and it's and Aragi's there and she thinks that they're having this she thinks that they're having a storybook like friendship that grows into romance and Aragi's 
incredibly like cowardly version of moral courage kind of i don't know spits in that and it's really hard to like again as you say watch this character's been regressed back to her most vulnerable and dysfunctional form that we've seen her in um and see her uh make the make the bid for the attention and affection of someone that we know again from long experience is like terminally stunted in terms of of the ability to just be a nice person to someone and not to like try to realize his feelings through these like stupid dramatic gestures like when um to jump ahead when hanakawa is killed by the second of the vampire hunters like he doesn't even he does he barely even goes to her he just goes after the guy and starts strangling him and it has to be meme oshina be like hey stop what about hanakawa and he's like oh she's dead and i'm furious and he's like well you can do something about that it's very yeah i mean like I am on on team Araragi sucks dump Araragi and, but this movie especially like these movies especially I don't know like give me a lot of ammo for why even a more restrained sober less martyr complex version of Araragi is still a a, a fuckhead yeah. like a big fuckhead <laughs> Well yeah like to to dip back into my theory that everybody in Monogatari represents a trope in anime that is you know, sort of constructed backwards into being a person. Like, in, you know, in most of these types of stories, like, you know, supernatural high school action kind of stuff, you have Potato-kun, who is also the 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 reader insert. And Aragi is supposed to be you. He's supposed to be this, like, stunted, sort of, like, lame nerd who's just into, like, these, like, weird tropes of women and action and big philosophical gestures that are like you know shallow as a puddle and so in a way like he's he is supposed to he he exposes the potato coon and he exposes the reader and as such like to if you made him actually good at this point it would sort of undermine that but like that is maybe entirely headcanon and i i honestly have no idea like how like, because it, it seems to me like ev- like everything about him is supposed to be off putting and it's supposed to be weird, and but because <laughs> and, and, you, yet, you see, and yet he's also super buff and handsome because yeah because it's his story Mama he's Gaga. telling it okay, that's, yeah. <laughs> okay. and and yeah and there's like and uh, and Nisio Yusin in general like not just in Monogatari like I think they struggle with compelling action and they struggle with lore like they're really good at sort of comedic weird back and forth banter and uh like sort of diving into people's like intentions and philosophies and things like that but when you try and make like a more standard like you know supernatural fighting high school show which is like this is like the closest that monogatari in general ever really gets to that right i mean hanukkah literally says like i thought i saw something out of a light novel which yeah I, w- I was I was like, don't blow up your spot, movie. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, I mean, like, Monogatari loves blowing up its own spot. Like, <laughs> but uh, no, I-, I think that they're like. So when you were talking earlier about how like Nisu Eason like says that he's like, oh, I'm just writing fan fiction for myself. I think that's a very, a very old literary trope in in Japan. Of like, this is just something I tossed off. Um, I wrote it for my own pleasure. I, I would rather you not read it, but if you must, just understand that it's something that I just made. And so I think that kind of encourages a certain 
casualness oftentimes in in certain types of Japanese fiction where like, yes, they know the reader knows that there's a movie adaptation. And uh, to to pretend that they that the reader doesn't know is almost like trying too hard. And therefore, it's important to be able to like write that off with a joke by acknowledging like they don't want to treat the reader as stupid and them as like having this sort of sacrosanct craft so yeah they would be like oh yeah we're making the movies and there's obviously going to be some changes in the book because the movies are going to be such a hit is like i don't know i think that's something in general but speaking of the changes in the movies why is everyone so sexy why so sexy in this in this movie so yeah like even yeah like aragi and Kishot and all the vampire hunters to a certain degree they have the excuse of their supernatural bullshit that makes them sexy uh, but Hanakawa, yeah, like, er- everything in this movie is just the most. Like, even comparing her to her character design in the show, like, they, like, because they reference the fact that, like, oh, Hanakawa has great boobs and everything else, yeah. and, like, in the show, and, like, you know, that is, like, a, you know, a motivating thing for Aragi in later episodes where it's, like, one well, of the... That's why he heals one of his fingers. Yeah. Because he realizes he can't, if he has a broken hand, he can't touch her boobs, which is... <laughs> But in this, like they like, like the, like whoever designed her doesn't understand how shirts work or how like how they're tailored because like she's got some like major like weird boob sock stuff going on and like she's constantly just like bouncing around. Hanakawa goes from a from a D cup to like a G cup during the breast touching scene, and it's inexcusable. And okay, so you know again like actually in the novels there there is like a literally a line where it's like her boobs just got twice as big i don't know how that happened she must have some kind of weird reverse bra on that makes her boobs look smaller otherwise and it's like like again like the 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 adaptations do a great job of being of like exposing how dark and like (laughs) disgusting the books are while being utterly faithful to them that's disappointing because there's some well we'll cover this in a bit but there is some stuff that i i like i i have reached one of my lowest points watching anime watching these movies and i can't imagine sitting in a movie theater and watching this with other human beings around but so like so so hanakawa and aragi meet they have like a nice little like kind of like dorky nerd date at the end of which she grabs his phone enters his enters uh her number uh aragi uh goes home like walking on air and then is unable to sleep because he saw her panties which and this is maybe again the the show indicting itself but like hanakawa wears some erotic erotic panties i like especially by the end where it's like literally just the one that's barely covering the groin and the rest is like ribbons uh it's Mm -hmm. just yeah again like yeah making the making the audience feel complicit by just showing them fan service that they didn't know they wanted and possibly don't even want but <laughs> here you go anyway and now you now you're part of the crime too yep yep uh but we're all in this together so he goes walking and he finds a pool of blood and almost it's they don't really focus much in his face or his reaction he kind of almost just in a trance is following the blood mm-hmm. down into the bottom of this of this building's basement or is it a subway or something like that yeah it's a it's a concourse or something and what he finds is a beautiful woman with a body worthy of a porn star. Like I said, just like magnetic Velcro uh, mm. clothes to basketball breasts um, with both her arms and both her legs removed. 
uh, kind of just slowly bleeding out in a pool of blood. And she declares herself a vampire and commands him to come over and give himself to her. And Aragi understandably freaks out and starts to run. And at that point, heart under blade for this is who it is, um, begins to do the very anime thing where people like cry because they're afraid of death. It's something I almost never see in Western media, but it happens fairly often. I feel like in, in at least in anime uh, where people are like, I'm, a, I'm afraid to die. Please don't know. No, don't go. Please don't know. I don't want to die. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is like, I think, like important for this story because the whole this whole setup is like her committing like elaborate suicide uh-huh. and that at that moment realizes oh maybe i don't actually want to die well because we might as well cover this now of like where the thing is that where they make the observation that like most vampires kill themselves after 200 years but somehow through a force of will or just a quirk of her personality uh heart under blade uh has lived 500 years And while she recognizes intellectually that she's ready to die, she is, like, subconsciously, um, instinctually, like, unable to do it. And so she has to arrange this elaborate scenario uh, where someone is forced to help her and thereby turned into a vampire. And then they help her get all her limbs back and then they kill her so that she can die. Yeah, it's a it's a very protracted suicide. And the payoff is, again, like I said, very dark at the end. But Mm -hmm. um so it, it, I thought it was really interesting, this idea that uh, Heart Under Blade, the future Shinobu, knows that she should die, but she's afraid to it, afraid to die because she's spent so much time alive and she doesn't really remember anything else as yeah. she observes when they're fighting in the stadium. She doesn't remember her life before being a vampire. She doesn't, she just was always a vampire and is scared of that nothingness. And it kind of, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, like, it, like It compares to Aragi's lack of moral courage, which we'll cover later, but... Yeah, 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 because, like, originally she's trying to get herself killed and then, you know, realizes she fears death. And then as she becomes more complete, you know, real, you know, comes to understand again that, like, oh, this is just going to happen to me again. So she wants to basically let Araragi kill her to sort of accomplish some kind of redemption, mm-hmm. which he then, like, refuses for reasons that we'll get into. Our reasons. Um, yeah. yeah. No, so he finds her. He so so when he sees her uh, flailing and screaming and begging, he uh, decides that maybe this is a worthy way to die. Yeah, um, and gives himself to her, and she drinks his blood, and he thinks he's going to die, but instead he becomes a vampire. Yeah, and then she's like, "Hey, I don't, well, first off, like I thought it was interesting when they con- when uh, they confront each other later. She's like, it it wasn't I was." I felt like I wanted to live again when you saved me because I thought that you thought me worthy of saving, but I realized that I was just weak. Mm-hmm. And that is actually why you saved me is because is because you would saved you would have saved anybody this week. And now that I'm strong, you think I'm not worthy of living. And I think that's probably the the most that Aragi gets put on blast in the show for at least a couple of a couple of uh, yeah. cores. Because like, like that that definitely comes up again. Yeah, we're like it's not. It's not even, it's like literally not even that he like saves people. He just saves people who are in certain conditions. And like once, mm-hmm. once Heart Under Blade becomes strong, she needs to be killed instead of, yeah. instead of saved. Um, and though he lacks the courage to do that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the, uh, like, I think like the, the one unifying theme throughout this show that I found is the idea of like people, like people who are predators who don't see themselves as such. And mm-hmm. like Aragi's like whole deal is that like he you know 
this you know repeatedly comes under scrutiny throughout the series that like yeah. his sense of justice like which i i swear must be some kind of like really awkward translation from like a a more complete concept in japanese because like they they repeatedly use that phrase which is not a phrase that anybody else uses any anywhere mm. but anyways like he like he doesn't do things because it's right he does things because he's compelled to because he has like just a strong like you know moe like compulsion to help people who are weak and the moment that they are no longer like reliant on him or under his thumb or like needing his help he kind of loses interest like you see that cycle happen with hanakawa you see that cycle happen with uh with shinobu Mm -hmm. you know throughout the series and then throughout the show and then like at the very end you know she's reduced to this like you know a a permanent a permanent like invalid currently in need of his help and like and, I'm, and when we started talking about Bakumon Gatari, I had theorized that like he, like Aragi will stop being a vampire the moment he stops needing this this thing in his life, this like people being reliant on him, and you know that was also kind of my theory as to like why he decides to be with Senju Gahara because Senju Gahara is like you know she you know she says it repeatedly as well that like you know he could be with all these different people but. He, he is the only person for her and as such like he is this like lifeline for her that he provides and then he just kind of feels compelled to stay in that role and because he also is like he's taking something from it for himself like at the end of this uh at the end of the movies he basically tells Oshino like I you know I'm not doing this for any greater purpose I'm only doing exactly what I want to do yeah and he also has a habit of stealing catchphrases from other people because that's exactly what Hanukkah tells him when he's like demanding that she explain herself like, you know, why are you being so nice to me? Why are you so self-sacrificing? And she says, I'm not any of those things. I'm extremely selfish. I'm only doing this because I want to do this. And so like it's it's really difficult to tell, you know, is this a moment of self-reflection or is this just him moving to the next delusion in his well, we, like we know, terminal genius? We know genius. what happens next and it's and he just does the same thing again and mm-hmm. again yeah because like then he steals oshino's uh tagline that nobody saves you know you can't save anybody they can only save themselves which you know again is a kind of a thing where you know all acts of altruism are ultimately acts of uh selfishness but again like this show doesn't necessarily believe that it's just a a, a stage for him to work through yeah well i mean i think the show also visually like i think we talked about a few episodes a few in betweens ago about how oftentimes Aragi will even steal poses from people or like shot setups for people. So there is like this idea that he that he doesn't really have a great sense of self. And I think that's upheld in how that how you can correct me on this, but isn't it said that like he used to be really different in middle school and he like changed a bunch when he came to high school and it's almost like he's lost himself and vampirism like he's stealing these other personas catchphrases and stuff but i wanted to nuance what you said um about how aragi helps people who are weak uh until they're not weak and i think what it actually is is when it comes to aragi's moral courage when he has the 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 strength and the will to do the right thing is that aragi's problem is that he conflates difficulty with righteousness and so the hard thing is the right thing it's hard to help weak people it's easy to help strong people it's hard to help weak people and when you get to the end where she, where a heart under blade is asking to be killed, it's easy to kill her. And it's what she wants. And as Oshino uh, says, it's the thing that will make everyone happy except Araragi. 
Um, and instead, he decides to go for Oshino's solution where everyone is equally unhappy because that's the more difficult thing, I guess, from a broader perspective. You know, repeatedly people are saying like, you know, it's such a shame that he's like reduced, you know, the great kiss shot Acerola over on Heart Under Blade to this like weird little chibi version of herself. And that it, and that's sort of kind of undermined as the series progresses because it becomes clear that like Shinobu has like found a new purpose in life and being his like lolly slave, which is like what they repeatedly call her and just kind of they just kind of lean into that. And it's I mean, really I, I guess- weird. <laughs> I guess I guess after 500 years of being one of the most powerful creatures on the planet, it's great to be like a, a weird, useless 10-year-old girl who just eats lots of donuts. I yeah. mean, I, like the- I wouldn't disagree with that fate for like, give me five years and then, and then we yeah. can negotiate. <laughs> yeah, because like they, they sort of hint at the fact that like, you know, even though Kissshot is incredibly powerful and can basically just do whatever she likes, she's mm. also kind of dumb and shallow and doesn't really do a whole lot with that and yeah like being a a dumb 10 year old who just eats donuts and hangs out in somebody's shadow and plays nintendo ds is like (laughs) that is like that's a that's a fitting end for her and that you know that 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 suits her well i mean and i think also to go completely just like interpretation wank on this That's all we're doing here. That's the whole point of this. Well, my downstairs roommate's <laughs> playing something corporate. I kissed a drunk girl. So we're 100% just in like weird, stupid bro territory. But like the idea that you're presented with this vampire who like is this ultimate power fantasy. She is she is able to create matter out of nothing. She is stunningly beautiful, more beautiful than like most human beings on the planet is literally just the consummate power fantasy. And yet the real fantasy is 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 being a useless tween who plays DS and eats sweets all the time. It's almost like Shinbo and Nisio Isen are are saying like you don't really want to be a, a super powered monster. You want to be <laughs> you want to be a kid again. You th- you think that being powerful will give you no responsibilities, but actually being a dumb kid, like being a useless dumb kid will give you no responsibilities. Yeah. Power is responsibility. But and, she, and she's also just like extremely vain and extremely full of herself. Like there's a there's an aside. I can't remember if this is in the show or not, but she says that like, you know, she's she refers to herself as being 500 years old. But like Aragi kind of like does the math and realizes she's closer to 600 years old. <laughs> but she just kind of like, you know, she you know, she's like the, you know, the vain person who insists that they're in their 20s. When they're twenty nine and a half, which is funny because she's, <laughs> because she's she's already like the oldest, like maybe the oldest vampire in existence, and yet yeah. she's still just like I cut off those hundred years. <laughs> oh no, that's funny. No, that's not that's not in the in the anime. I would I would have remembered that. That's great. Okay, oh. yeah, yeah, because like yeah, it's like it just gives me, that that is one of the best little bits of insight into her character. I love I love Shinobu's vanity. Actually, honestly, the fact that uh, that heart under blade is so much so much less like petty and vain and kind of like shinobu's kind of dumb i think we've said that before like she's not she's not like stupid but she's not she's just like of average intelligence and it's the the glamour and the power that make that i guess human brains are wired to assume that people who have power over us are smarter than us because it's survival strategy under capitalism but uh but like yeah she's just kind of like dumb and vain and petty and like very easily influenced by people and like you don't get that shinobu here you get heart under blade who while she is like 
chibi version we get like a lot more slapstick and actually that was i don't know we'll move to that like once so after aragi becomes a vampire uh he's taking care of a physically eight nine ten year old version of shinobu um and she instructs him to go get back all the limbs which were taken by this trio of vampires vampire hunters um and there's like great stuff where she's like okay the first vampire hunter is a vampire and he's like what really and she just like headbutts him really hard in the like classic <laughs> japanese slapstick style where she's like yeah he's 10 feet tall have you ever seen somebody who's 10 feet tall and Aragi's like no but i thought and she's like in all my 500 years i've never seen someone as tall as this guy he's a vampire <laughs> uh, also he had like blood blade hands so yeah. get with the program Aragi. <laughs> But yeah, like when she's in her like small like child form, because they do the thing where he gets back the the her foot, and he's like, you can't just like stick it on. It's like a, a full it's like a full size adult's leg. You can't stick stick that on. She's like, no, fine. She like eats it. and It's a Warner Brothers cartoon, just like foot mm-hmm. in her mouth. Yeah, uh, and you can see through her cheeks that she's got the whole thing. And that was, I don't know. It, it was nice to like be reminded because I think it's easy to think of monogatari series as like a, a supernatural drama with some like harem elements but i think the comedy is actually some of the best part of the stuff even like the skeezy lowly squad shit that we complain about and love so do you have anything to say about the fights the fights the um, vampire the vampire hunter fights i liked like they all go on for way too long yeah um i i liked the the bits and pieces of it like i thought the uh the way he got so like he fights dramaturgy the first guy he's like this giant like 10 foot dude with sword arms who just like <laughs> kicks him apart and just totally yeah, kicks fucks off him up. his kicks off one of his arms is his first opening move it's really funny when aragi is doing like the he's like bouncing back and forth with his fists up and then he just kicks off his arm yeah and the and the and the whole point of this fight is that aragi is finding out that like oh i'm actually extremely strong and extremely durable and like i don't actually need to be afraid of these people and that's you know that's sort of like the thrust of this. And I also really liked how when he's preparing for the fight, he's right he's reading this book about Aikido, and he kind of like gives up and starts reading this book about baseball because like he's just like he's more interested in baseball. Uh-huh. And he tries to do some like you know judo moves on dramaturgy, and dramaturgy just like turns his arm into swords and cuts him up into little pieces. Yeah. And so he like he runs off like finds a bucket of baseballs because they're fighting in and around his high school. And, like, he throws a couple of baseballs at him, and it just bounces off him. And then he throws a shot put at him, uh-huh. and it just, like, crushes his eye. And he's just like, ah, oh, fuck. Oh, shit. Oh, this is going to take me days to heal. I give up. We're good. We're good. This is just a job to me. I don't actually care about it this much. Like, I knew how much stronger you were than me because you're her underling. I thought maybe I could just get one over you on you before you figured out figured that out. And it didn't work. So we're good. I'm gone. Later. Yeah. <laughs> And so, like, I, I, I like the way that that ended because, you know, they do a pretty good job of making you think, like, you know, how the fuck is he going to get out of this? And it's just like, oh, there was actually never any actual danger yeah. to Araragi. He just it's, needed to it's figure entirely, that out. It's entirely sold by by the vocal performance of Araragi's voice actor who... Yeah, is outstanding. Where he, like, he, like he, and the animation where he just, he... Like you said, it's, it's too long of a fight, but the fact that, like, the 10 minutes of that fight are just Aragi like running and crying and be like, fuck, fuck, fuck. Yeah. Yeah, really I, yeah. I don't know what his name is. Like what, what, what uh, is the, uh, the Kamiya, Hiro- Kamiya Hiroshi. 
he does a great vocal performance of somebody who is scared and freaked out like like <laughs> probably like crying and whining he's very good at that yeah like like he probably spends like of the you know of the running time of the three like at least 10 or 15 minutes like breathing heavily and freaking out and like strangling on his own terror and and he sells it i mean he does he i mean it's i don't know if there's a better tradition of of like committing but just like the way that japanese voice actors in general and kamiya hiroshi in particular are willing to just like look like a completely stupid asshole like like it's an (laughs) it's at times a very embarrassing vocal performance just the way he falls apart and cries and screams and Mm-hmm. yeah he's it's good and i'm trying to see if there's anything uh oh he plays uh huh he plays signers espo sensei <laughs> interesting i didn't know that he's great in that too he has to scream and cry a lot there too so maybe Perfect. that's just his jam <laughs> who can say yeah but then yeah. there's like the episode fight and that's just kind of like a puzzle fight where episodes a character by the way oh yeah yeah okay so episode is like the second vampire hunter he is a half vampire who can like turn into mist and throws a cross at aragi and he then like hanakawa sort of like clocks what's going on and tries to tell him and then he like fucking kills hanakawa and sure like her guts explode all over the place and you know, then we get another moment of Aragi, like you were saying before, like he just, you know, says, Oh shit, she's dead and freaks out and like, you know, does the clever like shonen guy like, Oh, you turn into water and mist. So if I like create a big sandstorm, it'll fuck that up. And then he that like, made, that made no sense. I'm sorry. Yeah. And then like, <laughs> and again, like DCO Eason is not actually very good at fight scenes. And you don't have to show them in a book. You just say like, Oh, some shit happened. Yeah. And yeah, so he he beats episode and Oshino Meme is like, hey, by the way, you have vampire powers. Go save Hanakawa. That'll be three million yen. And so he brings her back to life and he sort of like has this weird moment of like, oh, I just want to like sit here and lay on your warm tummy because it makes me so happy. And look at look at your underboob, your yeah. generous underboob. <laughs> uh, and then yeah. he fights guillotine cutter because like the way he kind of gets one over on Aragi is that he like he snatches Hanakawa on her way home because like the like the, the cycle of Aragi and Hanakawa is that like Hanakawa starts a relationship with him and then he like ends the relationship to you know, to protect her and to like you know and everything else and then she like unbreaks up with him and they're together for a while and then he breaks up with her again because it's like no you have to be away from me you're too it's too dangerous for you here that's that can we talk briefly about that scene because that is like aragi does say like the right like light novel thing of like he's like i'm not gonna see you now but next semester will start and we'll and then i'll be your best friend Mm -hmm. and she's like oh i almost fell in love which is bullshit because she's already in in love with him kind of (laughs) but um and then of course she's like well here are my panties uh because she's already clocked who aragi is deep down since he demanded (laughs) demanded that um he's like if you want to be my friend you have to give a sacrifice so let me let me see your let Mm -hmm. me see your pants again um that that i i read every time that i see one of those scenes i read that as him playing like creep chicken with her to try and like get her to do the work for him 
it, it shows he doesn't understand her at all because he thinks that he's asking something that a girl will just be like, Kya! And no, and she won't do. But like, Hanukkah's like, okay, you want to be a, a creepy rapist? That's fine. Because I mean, when you get later to the boobs stealing scene, she's like, well, she's like, I thought to myself, like, well, that's it. I'm losing my virginity in a in a gym locker room. Um, but yeah, no, she like, she's willing to do anything. And it just shows how like badly he doesn't understand her that he thinks that he can like, be this huge creep and she will leave him alone and instead she's like okay that's the price of admission i guess yeah and then he chickens out every time yeah (laughs) but no but when he does get the panties he's like he's like i'm not giving because she's like here's my panties give them back on the first day of school which is weird first off yeah and second he's like i'm not giving these back these are going to be an araragi family heirloom for the rest of time yeah and but then he like also sort of like plays that in too it's like i have you know you've given me this like you know, you've put me in this unpayable debt, so I'll spend the rest of my life trying to pay it back. Which is again like a thing he kind of commits to mm-hmm. for a good while. You know, further cementing him as the dude who defines himself with giant sweeping gestures instead of just being a person. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's very much like a knight receiving uh, a token of favor from a lady, and like he pins it to his armor, and like there's no, it, it's courtly love. There's no actual consummation. It's just. It's just these these gestures that are highly symbolic and have fraught meanings that, at least for Araragi, seem to sustain him, but for the people around him, not so much. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, he he fights this dude to like turn, get her back, and he turn, like turns it to turns a, his arms into a tree, <laughs> which doesn't make any like again like this is maybe something that they cut out, but like the whole thing is like you know Kishad is t- teaching him how to like use his vampire powers, and it's like oh you can manifest matter by like basically just like you think really hard about what it would be like to be that thing. And then you can like become that thing. And they had had this like weird aside where like Araragi would dream about becoming a tree because like that would free him from all of his like human concerns and he could live forever and blah, blah, blah. And like, that's why he turns into a tree. And again, like it's not great stuff, but if you (laughs) remove that explanation, it just doesn't make any fucking sense because it's like, Oh, he became a tree. He, he, he like manifested really mad and shoots his hands out into, into like weird, Things. And he's like, I've given up my humanity to do this. And uh. no, he didn't, because that never ever pays <laughs> off. Like Oshino's like, you have to give up your humanity. And so like he does it and then it just never like that's probably the weakest. Like like Guillotine Cutter in general, like he basically is there to be a body for sh- uh, for Kiss Shot to catch while because like he gets her, you know, he gets her all of her bits back, and she's like, "Hooray! I can turn you back into a human." You know, have a, let's hang out for a little while and let's have a bite to eat. And like, he sent she sends him out to like go get some snacks, and he comes back from like the Seven Eleven with a bunch of like kombini snacks, and she's eating guillotine cutter, and she's like, "Oh, did, why didn't you bring that like that glasses wearing portable snack back here? I thought we were gonna eat." And like, that's like that, that's the moment where he like. Really, he remembers that, like, oh yeah, oh she's a she's vampire, a vamp- yeah. yeah, she kills people and eats people, and like you know, that's the the moment that she stops being reliant on him is the moment that he like gives up on her and has to like go into like superhero mode in a completely different way, and that's when we get the scene that you, we have been sort of dancing around this whole time. Yep, he just he gets so he gets the heart from Oshino, who's like, I was going to make you fight me for this heart, but nah. Yeah. And so he just gives him the heart and because he realizes that like these people are like these people are incredibly easy for me to beat. They must have been like a cakewalk for Shinobu. There's no way that she couldn't have beat all three of them at once. And Ocean's like, yep, took her heart. Here's her heart back. 
And so she gets her heart back and she becomes an incredibly powerful vampire. And then, <laughs> then Aragi's like, oh shit. And so he decides he wants for, at first to kill himself because step one of Aragi's like martyr complex is to make himself a literal martyr. Um, and then he's like, oh no, well, I'll, I'll fight her and kill her. Cause like, cause Hanakawa having an actual sense of morality, even in this like early stage of her character development is like, no, she'll just keep killing people. You need to kill her. And then, and then we'll figure out what to do with you after that. Uh, and he's like, well, uh, she's like, I'll do anything for you. And yeah, he's like, well, let me see your tits. Yeah. Uh, let me feel you up because like you haven't seen Kiss Shot's tits. It's impossible for a man to fight Kiss Shot. To his credit, and I don't want to be quoted on this. He said it on the record. <laughs> those are some those are some those are some breasts that she's got. Like it literally looks like you know when you're like a kid and you're in PE and you've like you put a basketball under your t-shirt and then pretend you're pregnant. It's like she did that, but two basketballs and higher up it's it, they look laughable honestly and her like ridiculous like goth like like elegant goth lowly uh she's like i love her design and i love her voice actress i want to like shout out to sakamoto maya who is an incredibly experienced pop star and uh and voice actress like she did haruhi and orin host club she yeah she's been in everything and she's amazing um she was she's mari in in a rebuild of evangelion <laughs> uh but no she's great and she she japan has this thing with anime especially of like having like really seasoned well-known voices do like aristocratic stuff so that you kind of have this immediate like recognition and infinity and i think that really works here well where like the way she delivers lines and talks you just instantly just like oh oh this person yeah so so yeah but she looks like ridiculous porn star like 100% traced from bangbros.com or something but um, uh so yeah it's like she's got some she's got some nice ones and i'm worried that in the fight i won't be able I'll, I'll having having no experience hands on literally with breasts i will be defeated by her amazing bosom so can i feel your bosom hanakawa and take it away jeff i'm done <laughs> okay. yeah and then and she goes yeah sure and he's like uh oh okay and so like she's you know she like you know was like turn around like wait hold on a second like you know she takes her bra off she's like i want you to do this properly and she he just kind of takes her bra off she's like very demure it's it's yeah. all part of an act and she and and Aragi's like but what if you tell the cops about this you need to like i need to hear you say out loud that you want me to do this and like there's this whole like really creepy like dom and sub back and forth between them and like you can like if you watch this in isolation and you're feeling really generous you could say that okay she's kind of into this because she's kind of demonstrated a willingness to do this kind of thing for him because yeah. she likes him but then you also if you watch anything else to do with what she's what's going on her here you know that she is so desperate for other human contact that maybe she's just doing this because she's afraid of losing him and it's and then it becomes way darker and way more manipulative and then you know in the very end he chickens out and apologizes and does and his gives her, thing. gives her a very chaste massage and yeah like, and then she's just like you. like you chicken like i was committed to this you have no idea how hard it was for me yeah to, her, like, her line her line of like i she she was like it got to a certain point and i was like huh so i'm gonna lose my virginity on the floor of a gym storage room and yeah. you chickened out 
after like make she makes she he makes her say like all this like humiliating stuff about how like slutty her boobs are and how yeah. like it's it's it is humiliating and like she uncomfortable yeah she is to some extent i think like gets into it because araragi like it, it's so when you're in a play and you're giving lines like if someone's not committing to their lines it's hard to respond to them but if someone's selling their lines you can it's because we're just wired as humans to like respond to what's to the emotion that's being established by someone and so like aragi like going going super christian gray and like saying all these things about like how lewd her body is and how much she wants this and making her say them like she responds responding that clearly but the moment he pulls back like she resets to like this was fucking weird and i can't believe you made me say all that stuff and then i nothing actually came of it you asshole and there's a lot there's an element of cruelty to it too of like how we can't we between like her actions with her parents and probably other students like you can't imagine that hanakawa was not teased for her for her body and aragi is making her act out basically what she was teased about for his own sexual gratification in a way that other creepy elements in monogatari series like the infamous incestuous toothbrushing scene um like there's playfulness there and it's two it's two people that are kind of in the classic anime fashion unable to fully cons- to fully admit their feelings and therefore consent but still are kind of like enthusiastically participating in this but this is 100 percent araragi seeing how much of himself he can impose in hanakawa and then realizing that's a bad look for himself and it's hard to watch for that and it made me feel really bad about myself and bad about this and i can't imagine sitting in like a theater with 200 other people and yeah. just being like it would be like the time i saw enemy at the gates and uh jude law and rachel vice have an extremely like ugly messy sex scene and i was sitting next to my dad and i was like man i have no idea how to react to this if i get up and leave he'll probably think that I was turned on if i shift my weight he'll think i'm turned on and yeah there's no there's no out it's yeah it's it's a bizarre scene and um, yeah, and and I think it it, it lends it, it it's part of my overarching Aragi theory that deep down he is a predator. Like all of the Lollicon jokes, all of the like Chunibyo like martyr complex is ultimately all about this. You know, he is here to like gratify himself, like and his own self image. And yeah, it's like it's the moment where his like his animal self sort of like overtakes his like. You know his his you know his his id take you know surpasses his super ego that he pulls back and realizes yeah. that oh shit like I'm not I should not do this <laughs> yeah I mean he know he knows that he's done something wrong yeah but like he doesn't know how to apologize because he doesn't know like I mean it, it's almost he knows he, he knows he did something wrong but he doesn't know what he did wrong besides just like be too much of a creep and so he just like tries to be less creepy and that's not that's not what Hanukkah wants or needs. Yeah. She wants him to be a person and he hasn't figured how to uh, figure out how to do that yet. Yeah. How many series and counting? He hasn't figured it out yet. Yeah. Like you, you kind of get a sense that maybe after graduation, you know, that sort of like mythical time in the future that this whole series kind of revolves around. Maybe he figures something out, but eh. But, yeah, maybe (laughs) not. I know so, for a fact that there's books that take place like well after he's in college and he's still up to his shit. So we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's, this is just a thing that's like a victim of its own success. I mean, I, like I said, I, I want Aragi to disappear and I want stories about Yatsuki and Kaiki and the other yeah. characters who do not have this, this 
incredible amount of emotional damage that we're just supposed to kind of go along with. Yep. Because, you know. And think it's funny and think it's cool. <laughs> I mean, the worst the worst part is it is funny. Like, Araragi is, is a buffoon and a clown and is fun to watch. It's just that the price for admission is a lot of honestly kind of violating sexual content. And yeah. that is that is not something that that is not a, a dynamic that exists often in modern media, and rightly so. And it, it's very it's very weird to like to have Araragi like sniffing and caressing Hanakawa's panties, and it's just like I, I thought that was funny, like mm-hmm. on an instinctual level, and then my brain just like no cut that cut that shit out. <laughs> yeah. I mean. F- that's that's been my relationship, you know, with that. My, you know, like I'm I'm infamous for saying that I respect the, te- the toothbrush scene, and like that's exactly the way I feel. Like, like it's a it's, good it's, scene. I'm gonna it's, say it's funny and it's deeply uncomfortable, and it just leans way into like how grossly creepy this whole thing is while still being funny. But yeah, it's it, it continues to be the best show that nobody should watch. Yeah, I mean, I can't. Like I, like I think I said at the beginning of this this in between series, like I can't recommend this show to anybody. I don't. I like somehow like I, I didn't even recommend it to you. We just talked about it for like six months, and you're like, I'm gonna watch it, and then and then you got my my favorite moment in keyframes is you being like, this is a show that boils you like a frog until you're a bad person. And I'm here to tell you this is my favorite show. <laughs> there's just there's a despair there, and like I mean, I th- I think that. On a very generous interpretation, like Araragi, lacking the the moral courage or the personal ability, just to like not be a shithead is very relatable. And I mean, it's relatable like BoJack Horseman is relatable, or like Don Draper is relatable. We're just like, don't pour yourself the extra drink, and you won't and you won't be an asshole at the party. But you do because I don't know. And Araragi can just, like, he's got these women around him who care about him deeply, and he's got these strong relationships that aren't based on sexual attraction and superficial uh, interests. But, like, he still he still goes for it because, because I don't know, like, I don't think we want characters who are able to, to grow and become better people than us <laughs> deep down. At least in our current historical moment, our current political moment, we don't, we don't, we don't want to be beaten out by a bunch of imaginary people. We want our our, our Aragis to perform a near rape scene on his only friend, um, and then lamely try to walk it back while she says it's fine, and it's clearly not fine. But we don't know. We don't entirely understand why, and neither does our Aragi. Anyway, yeah. anyway, head punching. <laughs> yeah yeah so there's the most clown shoes anime fight that's ever been <laughs> I don't, there there's a, a point where like this is ridiculous and then because they're punching each other's heads off and like they just grow back ahead immediately with yeah. a weird baby sound because like it goes through the whole spectrum of development like starts out starts out of an infant's head and becomes a kid's head and then becomes a full adult's head and so there's like cry like baby crying noises as the baby head pops up and there's a point where it's like cuts away and it's just the field and it's just like like dozens of shinobu's heads rolling past like laughing because she's laughing the whole time because it's an anime fight um yeah it's oh it's so weird it's it's it literally was just like well there's different rating requirements for movies versus tv so let's see how far we can go yep 
And yeah, and then the, the fight ends because again, like Hanakawa clocks what's going on in the fight way before Aragi ever does. As, as, a, as someone with an actual emotion, sense of emotional intelligence, Hanakawa figures out what's going on. Yeah, and says, "Hey, she's trying to get you to kill her," and then she tries to kill Hanakawa to get her to shut up. Aragi jumps in front of her, and then as just ahead, you know, sorry, you have to describe this. <laughs> clamps onto her neck and drinks her vampire power because like they the Shino or Kishot has like unbelievable regenerative properties and that gets passed on to Aragis, which is why you can have these like intensely gory you know slapstick fights and like sucks her vampire essence up until it's like almost gone and then she's like cool kill me now and he's like nope because now you're back under my power and i like you that way and so we're you're now gonna be my weird little sidekick for the rest of the series the end (laughs) yeah god like it's really hard not to paint aragi's actions as an abuser where it's just like as long as you're weak you're okay as long as i have you and the the this his conversation with Oshino after after Oshino's explained like oh you can you can bring her literally to the brink of death and she'll be stuck on the brink of death forever only like not able to drink anyone's blood but your own because it's partially her blood and Aragi you'll be mostly human but still kind of a vampire a half-assed vampire which is fitting as he says and and yeah you'll be stuck in this like sick abusive codependent relationship until one of you dies uh and who knows when that is and our argues like cool on it <laughs> and then they have a conversation where oshino and this is the part that i found like actually harrowing was probably the moment of like the closest emotional contact that i had with this anime um was was uh oshino being like you think you did a good thing but you took a living person with like needs and desires and you pulled out her teeth and you cut off her fingers and you crushed her throat and you broke her legs and now she's your pet. And Aragi's like, yep, that's what I had to do. And Oshino's like, okay. <laughs> and that's, and then Aragi, we have like the last thing where he sees her as this child form and we find out that why she re- didn't talk in Bakumonogatari is because she's furious with him because he's, he's, done a monstrous thing to her he's mutilated her rather than kill her and basically left her this not only like this this she she loses her name she loses her age he he cripples her in every imaginable sense so that he doesn't have to make the easy hard choice to kill her and he's like now we're perfect together two wounded beings with kizu meaning wound because this is an injury story but yeah just the fact that Araragi the, the, the show ends with Araragi content that he has done a truly righteous thing is I think maybe the darkest thing that Monogatari has ever presented to me yeah like the the final shot is him just kind of like looking wistfully directly into the camera which has been established as where Shinobu is sitting in a way that you know, would make, you know, it would, it would be a hopeful ending if it was anybody else except for this, like, supernatural being that he has turned into yeah. his pet. Mutilate, like, like literally, like, mutilated and, like, destroyed. Like, she she will never be whole is what, is what the, like, upshot is. And we know that's not true because of Shinobu time and stuff, but, like, the up, the, like, the explicit text of the show is that, like, 
is that like you have permanently destroyed her as a person so that you wouldn't have to kill her and you think that's a good thing and man it makes me hate araragi and i'm already as i said on team araragi sucks dump araragi so yeah yeah so there are you know even the author thinks that Kiza Monogatari is a decent entry point into Monogatari in general. What do you think of that? I can't believe that. I can't believe that. This is the things that are good about Monogatari by and large are not here unless you have been trained by the series already to know to look for them. Because the things that I love about Monogatari are, are the deliberate weirdness and willing to just have incredibly morally compromised characters on board. And that really doesn't happen until the last episode of the movie trilogy and even then not fully it's willingness to play with language um the show it like it is philosophical in the way that i like about monogatari series but it's very philosophy one on 101 what is our duty to preserve life is it better to kill somebody or let them live in pain or suffering or as a lesser version of themselves so like it, it doesn't have anything i'd like and if you need to like training wheels people with a with a fucking badass series of fights to get them up to uh, watching Kaiki debate with God uh, uh, Sengoku about, you know, the nature, <laughs> the nature of power and what it means to be omnipotent, then sure, fine. But I'm, I'm glad I entered the series where I did, even though I still continue to find back Pokemon and Guitar bizarrely weak for how foundational it is, but it's still like, I wouldn't want this to be my first Monogatari series. I wouldn't want this to be anyone's first Monogatari series unless they watched Baka Monogatari and didn't like it because it didn't have enough fight scenes, blood explosions. Yeah. And then you will go back to the rest of it and then continue to be disappointed. Yeah, yeah. probably. It's got like terminal prequelitis. Like there's whole scenes that don't add anything to the movies themselves. Like they introduce her dumb sword. Um, yeah, I, what was that scene where they're like hanging out on the roof like kind of talking and they have like granted a very sincere moment of emotional connection which is not something you expect from full-grown shinobu or heart under blade or even little like little shinobu where like they talk about like you know what they want out of life and like why they're here and then she pulls a sword out of her tummy and she's like sit still and she cuts him and she's like and he's like where'd you cut me and she's like it doesn't matter you heal back instantly because the blade of this sword is so fine and I'm like, fuck you. Yeah. yeah, she just like, check this shit out. Like, it kind of establishes her as being kind of a dumb kid at the end of the yeah. day. And she's just like, watch this badass sword. But it only works in the, in the, sense, in the sense that this is part of a bigger franchise. Yeah. We already know her as a dumb kid because this would make no sense of like, oh, she has a sword that's so sharp that it doesn't hurt you. Yeah. <laughs> Which is just like, cool. Yeah, like my, my only real <laughs> thought on that is that this was like the book was originally written the year after Nisio Eason had done right this is your this is your conspiracy theory he tin foil hat word motherfucker and yeah because like the year before that he had written 12 katana guitari stories which is like yeah. maybe in the same universe maybe it isn't but like he just had like one last high concept sword left and he was just like let's just put it here I think that'd be fun. Okay, no, no, I'm not gonna let you get away with that. What was the high concept of the sword? So the really so, big, really sharp. Was that the sunset? So they, so later in the series, they established that uh-huh. it is a magical sword that only cuts supernatural beings, and like that's how, like it, it's introduced in Nekomonogatari Black 
as a way of separating Hanakawa from the Sawari Neko because like he can slice it through her and it will cut the the Kai that's possessing her but leave her body intact. And mm-hmm. so like that's why when Shino when Heart Under Blade slices Araragi, like his clothes are fine because they've established that he is not like regenerating his clothes. But they have a different they have a different excuse for the clothes though, unfortunately. Yeah, well I mean like right. sh- like Kishot will like she just makes her own clothes she makes her own whatever she wants whenever she feels like it whereas like he's getting more clothes because hanakawa is like buying them for him and bringing it to him (laughs) because she likes to dress him up like a doll in madison garden athletics club bags which i did not get what that was about we'll talk about that with like uh shinbo's nerd nerd obsessions which i think is our next section yeah but and and and, yeah so like you know it it cuts him and she's just kind of like this blade is so sharp that like anything it cuts uh, will just like knit together if it's like left, you know, if you, if you leave it alone and then, and then she just like puts it away and it's just like, it, it yeah. never comes up again. And it's like, it's there to like sort of establish it because in Nekomagatari black, it comes out of nowhere. Like Shinobu yeah. barfs it up in the, you know, when he asked her really nicely for a way of dealing with the Suari Neko. And then later on, they like, again, you know, during Shinobu time establish like, you know, Oh, this is my first, you know, my first underling and he you know had this magical sword and blah 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 and then that becomes like plot and lore that becomes more and more important as the show goes on but this was just yeah. kind of like this is just some like backfill prequel stuff where it's like oh you remember that cool I mean, sword here's where it came from it would be a setup if this did air after bakimonogatari is planned yeah but and yeah like the i like i think ultimately the book order is the proper way to watch Monogatari, and so like and treating this as an entry point is a, a bad idea. You shouldn't do it. Don't do it, people. Yeah, yeah. Don't, don't. Like people, I used to be really into like in universe chronological order, but like I think Har- to bring up Haruhi again, this is going to be in our show notes <laughs> at this point. Like watching Haruhi airing order versus chronological order was just like no, this is a better story. F- through the airing order and i like it's hard now because you have to because the dvds aren't in the right order of episodes but like if you're going to watch ruhi suzumiya and if you haven't watched ruhi suzumiya in the chronolo in the uh airing order you should it's a better story because it's a it's a series of slice of life events that if you mix up the episodes in this specific order it becomes a love story with a rising and falling action and that is brilliant and it made me be like oh chronology is overrated which is an important stage for any geek to get to i feel like of just like there's no right way to watch this and like if we assume that harhi is a god and does not perceive time the same as us then this is why she's in love with kyon because she does not perceive these incidents chronologically she perceives them in order of importance to her Mm -hmm. and so that's that's that that's even more fan wank than i was gonna get before (laughs) but like yeah, no, I can't recommend chronological order of the melancholy versus Zumia first season, second season, just whatever. Yeah. Watch until watch until eight when you have time. Yeah. Buy buy <laughs> buy an eighth of weed, smoke it all, watch endless eight, <laughs> and then be done with it. Get on with your life. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> fall asleep during it. I don't care. Uh, but yeah, so like I I I'm big on airing order these days, like it's the order that like it's the order that the people made it in and they like so it's going to be informed by things that are in their heads from the last thing they made and so even though they're not they're jumping around chronologically mm-hmm. and granted like monogatari series second season also is 
all over the place in terms of chronology, right? As is uh, Awari Monogatari. We had spoken earlier about Shinbo's like weird nerd obsessions that bubble up through all of his directorial endeavors or executive directorial endeavors anyways. <laughs> You've been sending me pictures of architecture all week, Jeff. Yeah. What up with what's up with that? So when so in like in the books, they describe the the cram school uh, that a lot of the action sort of revolves around as being this like sort of a rundown, abandoned like four story walk up that's just like part of a strip mall in an industrial complex, and mm-hmm. it's just supposed to be like this dumpy place. And then in the show, it sort of looks like that, but like you know, it has like a tree growing up through it, and it has these like you know, sort of like sweeping industrial surroundings around it. And then in the movie, it looks like fucking Shadow Moses wrapped around Yggdrasil, the world <laughs> tree. And that's, tr- man, they start out with like the CG of this tree and they were overly proud of how good that CG was. It's real bad. I feel like it's real bad. Like it's real bad. Like to the point where like, oh, uh, this is just like a weird animation note that like the backgrounds look like sort of previs, uh, like architecture stills and like very obvious like you know low resolution textures stretched across very flat surfaces and every now and then you'll get these like very stiff like walking models for like long shots of talking scenes and like i don't know if that's an aesthetic that they're going for or if that was just like i would guess it's an aesthetic because because um shinbo especially like i think sunners at spistensei and uh madoka uh both have a really strong like mixed materials aesthetic and it even pops up in like minor stuff like Natsuna Arashi. You just need to watch all of all of Shinbo's movies and TV shows. But um yeah like like Shinbo is very interested in, in claymation, paper craft, um using like inserting photos as objects like when Aragi holds the panties that's a photo of a of a folded pair of panties that's superimposed in his hands. And I think that's very deliberate to like I think and this is again me being like film crit student, which I'm not. Uh, but how I think he, I think he really enjoys like the way that extremely detailed and like a lot of the uh, character animation was hand drawn. You can very clearly see it, and so I think he likes these like very old school hand drawn characters moving against in- extremely industrial 3D backgrounds. Um, and then like when they go out to the water, the water is like been like superimposed it's a video clip of actual water rippling and it's just i think that if there's one thing that shinbo likes in terms of visual style it's using the disrupt he's very much a of the honor school of using like disruptive medium changes to like make you pay attention to stuff in a scene and i think that's definitely what he's doing in monogatari series and especially kizu monogatari So. so and to go back to like the aesthetic of the cram school like it has a very like it had a very striking design and i had started to wonder you know what was used as a reference for this and so i did like a reverse image search with a a screenshot and came back with an almost exactly one-to-one angle of this japanese uh like a media building it's like a tv studio and stuff like that and it just it looks exactly like the the cram school and then i started seeing throughout the series other examples of the <laughs> same architect's work uh by name of uh Tange kenzo uh so like the araragi household is the household that uh 
Tenge designed for himself. And there is like the the gymnasium that uh, Aragi and Han- Hanakawa hang out before at before he fights dramaturgy is his contribution to the tokyo olympic stadium so like these are not like obscure buildings like these are like very obviously being selected for their visual impact and for a series that's supposed to take place like in some nameless tiny town like they very consciously like making his making it look like it takes place in the middle of a giant city like anytime you have like a like a a horizon shot it's always just chock-a-block with like industry and buildings and like the you know he encounters shinobu in this like gigantic like actually i wouldn't be surprised if it was a uh, uh a subway station that this guy designed but like they're all very clearly like really like ultra modern brutalism architecture too like it's it's I, mean, I as as an avowed fan of brutalism this was a very satisfying show to watch where everything Everything looks like, yeah, massive concrete monoliths and ugly, lumpy buildings. It's so good. So yeah, good. yeah, like it. exposed metal and glass. And there's a lot of that around Vancouver, actually. Like, if you've seen mm. any sci-fi show, like SYFY show that was filmed between, like, 1996 and 2007. I think, I think it's I think it's Siffy. It's called Siffy. Well, whatever the fuck they're calling it these days. <laughs> but, like, you will see examples of, like, Vancouver's weird preoccupation with this one dude's work uh arthur erickson all, all over the place like the uh like he designed like sf or simon fraser university and a bunch of other buildings just kind of around town and they have this very sort of like weird sci-fi 60s aesthetic that like i like kind of thought that oh maybe like this was you know kind of based on sfu and then you know, i just because it's like a lot of like you know concrete and metal wrapped around big trees and then just found it like, oh, no, it's just like a one-to-one example of this one dude's, you know, body of work all over the place. And it's just like, all right. I was actually glad that you showed me that, like, the SFU thing, because, like, that made that fight, like, a lot more grounded. Because the architecture of that place is confusing, and having seen pictures of it before made it a lot more easy to understand what was going on with that mm-hmm. with that structure. But And, and yeah, and it yeah. didn't really seem to amount to anything above and beyond Shimbo thinks this is cool. And wants to yeah, show it is, to you. Which is granted, like, what Shinbo does. I was mentioning before we started recording that, like, there's this whole thing in uh, Sinozetsu Sensei where there's all this, like, references to the end of Taisho Democracy and the beginning of Showa. And it's kind of vaguely implied that it's in this alternate universe where uh, Hirohito, who is Emperor Showa, never, like got this hard nationalist cabinet that forced him towards war and so it's this kind of like weird eternally peaceful japan and that's largely an excuse to have lots of like taisho era school uniforms and taisho era buildings and taisho era cultural objects there and it's the sort of thing where he can get really really fixated on this like one this like one small vertical slice of historical japanese culture and just put a bunch of it in his stuff and I guess because he's such a, a great visual stylist, like people don't complain. Like those brutalist buildings look great and they're visually striking and memorable. So why bother making them like look blander? But it's still just very weird how he does get fixated on stuff. And every, especially like his post 2006, 2007 stuff is very full of just like what, what, 
what article, architecture book, or pop culture history was uh, Akiyuki Shinbo reading when this thing was being made? Because there's going to be a bunch of it in the show mm-hmm. for one reason or another. So and and his like his fixation on this era kind of makes sense because uh, Tange sort of rose to prominence during the post-war uh, reconstruction effort because brutalism sort of like that you know like pouring concrete around you know metal and things like that like it's it's a it's a quick way to build things and it also gives you the freedom to you know do weird things with architecture but in a way that like a lot of people just find really oppressive and depressing mm-hmm. and so like there's there's kind of sort of that connection there but again like it's entirely obfuscated by just like you know visual wank no no i agree i agree but it's i don't know there's a certain this is again i'm I'm apologizing a lot for being like very film crit student but there's a sort of thing that like the emotional stakes are larger than life in monogatari so why not the settings larger than life why not why not everything why not every single fight take place in a world famous building uh but it's funny because in the stadium they actually lampshade that by like having the announcement for the is it the 1960 or 1964 olympics yeah uh the tokyo olympics but they have yeah. like yeah they have the tokyo olympics announcement when they come in to have their stupid head punching fight <laughs> and um, there's actually an olympic torch burning in the background the whole time yeah which which symbolizes the sun because when the sun's coming then yeah mm-hmm. but it's very yeah i I mean, I think this is part of why you like the show. And like, here, let me tell you why you like Monogatari series. But like, and this is something I'm going to be interested to see when you do, and you should just watch Sarazan Mai. But like, Ikuhara is is very similar to Shinbo in terms of just having like so much symbolism that it's impossible to tell the noise from the meaning. And you can come up with a, a ropey excuse for anything um that you know d- justifies why there's like a weird quasi rape scene in the middle of <laughs> of the third movie or something like everything ev- like like everything is meaningful so either everything is meaningful or nothing's meaningful it's, it's it's a sort of like weird it jams the part of our brain that that pays attention to the important stuff and ignores or forgets the stuff that doesn't seem as important because everything is a reference to something and it's only if you know enough to know that this is a reference to something stupid that you can actually begin to parse it so um so our classic last bit funny bits yep. bits you liked um i really liked the uh the turnaround in the dramaturgy fight i really like i loved how quickly it was just over because like him being this just like you know 10 foot tall indestructible unstoppable force just instantaneously stopping and being oh all right i'm done i'm done we're good. You forgot the blood hand. You forgot the blood sword hands. Yeah. That's oh yeah. He's a, yeah. He's like you know he's surrendering with giant sword hands with like his face all caved in because he just had a shot put thrown at him and he's just oh, like it's so funny because he's got the hands up and and Aragi's like what does this mean and he's like what does it look like I surrender yeah you hit me you hit me in the face with like two or three shot puts <laughs> yeah we done and he's like oh uh, cool I I won and he kind of just, like, just like sadly puts down the like the the track roller it's just like okay fine. I'm not gonna not gonna crush with that and it's because and it, he surrenders because it's like this will take me like two days to regenerate and that's like not acceptable to him like that's that's the the the, the threshold he's like this job isn't worth it <laughs> be in bed for two days healing from being crushed by a by a roller i liked Araki going hog wild in the beginning and wily coyoting to buy a porn mag to try to like deal with his with his chub about 
uh, Hanukawa's panties. And then later we find out that that, that, that magazine is the like uh, girls with glasses edition, uh, like hot class reps with braids. And it's just like, and even then like Hanukawa just kind of looks and she's like, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh no. I thought this was so funny. Like just completely owning the, like the mega Neko class rep thing, which yeah. Like, Again, Sinus Itspa Sensei has, like, a lot of, like, weird, like, joking about how, like, everyone's got a class rep fetish, which, as someone who's not in high school anymore and not Japanese, I don't know if that's, like, serious or that's another one of, like, Shinbo's, like, jokes to himself. Yeah. Of, like, <laughs> class reps are pretty hot, right? <laughs> I mean, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> the uh, Your turn. Yeah. Uh... Yeah, there's not that much that's funny in this show. That's yeah, the thing. That's, that's it, bummed me out. I like I I'm used to like having like a six or seven item list of like oh, and then Yatsuki did this, and then Naoi Snail did this, but all our funny characters aren't around. Yeah, I I, I quite like like Kishot is a like she's a big dummy, but like she's she's the primary <laughs> like comedy relief throughout the series or throughout the series of movies, anyways. Uh, you know, she's just like, she's lazy and she's like, you no know, slobbing around. Like she's the one who like, you know, cause you know, Aragi had like run into uh kiss shot while he was buying his magazine. And, uh-huh. uh, you know, later on, you know, Hanukawa finds it in the school and she's like, Oh, what's this? And, you know, kiss shot wakes up and is like, Oh, that seemed really important to you. So after I rescued you, I went back and got it for you. And he was like, you traitor. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't want to say that I like this, but I did uh, when Hanukkah was like, I'm walking home without panties because I gave them to you. So you should be able to find a vampire. Yeah, <laughs> I like I liked that. <laughs> like that pep speech. It's it's nice. I even liked Aragi like because they do that. So one thing that's different from Kizumonogatari from like the rest of the Monogatari series is they often have like things that might happen and they roll it back and it didn't happen. And they do that a very lot. And they don't have much diegetic signposting for that. It didn't happen. So like Aragi gets the uh uh gets the panties and he like sniffs them and he like and he charges her and then it resets and they're they're, they're the same distance apart and like that was what he was thinking of doing and I think it's really funny how like in his head him him overreacting versus him trying to keep his cool in the actual like diegetic reality of the film um even though like even though even though yeah <laughs> yeah yeah there's there's no there's no way to be like unabashedly enthusiastic about monogatari without no there's no enthusiastic (laughs) consent to the bullshit that that kisa monogatari pulls but it's still like it feels essential and i didn't think it was going to feel essential to kind of move towards a wrap-up i didn't because they reference it so thoroughly and they tell you basically everything and there was nothing here that surprised me except how the characters reacted because we don't know when aragi is moving in on heart under blade with the, with the decision to take all of her strength and abilities and cripple her for the rest of her unnaturally prolonged life. And she's just like, please, please kill me. If you can, if you can find some way to kill me somehow, don't do this, please kill me. And Aragi just has his like, I'm a hero face on. And like, that is what I got from it. Cause I didn't expect, I didn't expect that to be there. I expect this to be a pretty rote retelling of a story that we've heard through implication for the past six, seven seasons. And so knowing 
how the characters felt while doing stuff was a pleasant surprise. And I guess that's what I'm going to take away from this is that like, there's room for emotional depth in Mona, the Monogatari series. You don't think about because it is a harem anime and it is super pervy and it does have a bunch of incredibly cringy Chunibyo shit going on. But yeah. And it made me like, it made me like Shinobu slash heart under blade more because we only ever really see her besides the instance in, is it Shinobu time or Shinobu vampire? Um, where she turns into herself and like kills the whole world. Yeah. Um, yeah, we, yeah but yeah. beyond that, we only, we only see her as a, as a big dumb donut baby. <laughs> and so seeing her as her full self and seeing the parts of her that are like, as you said, petty and selfish and kind of dopey. Mm-hmm. And yet seeing what Araragi took from her to make her the character that we came to like, I think that that was useful. I wouldn't appreciate this if this was the first thing I see, which is why I strongly advocate against this being your first Monogatari series. But yeah, I don't know. What do you think, Jeff? Uh, yeah, I think that's that, that about sums up my, my feelings on it as well. Like it's a, it's a bad entry point, but it is ultimately essential. It would benefit from being edited a little bit, but like typically monogatari is at its best when it's at its most meandering when it's like you know a a back and forth between two people and Mm. it doesn't really translate as well to fighting which is what something that this tries to do and i think mostly fails but for the most part it's still it's still worthy of your time if you can get yourself to see past the all the really problematic shit that happens constantly monogatari series.jpg yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah no i mean it's funny like today i referenced you're like boil you like a frog until you're a bad person because i don't i don't feel like i don't know i i have a i have a very complicated relationship with and will as we get towards the end of the show because there's there's zoku awari monogatari and then there's the finale series right and that's it yeah yeah right? well that's 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 everything's been adapted so far there's still a lot more books <laughs> there's so much I like mean, like everything goes on forever yes yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but like i it's very weird to, to to like something and not be able to recommend it because i think that's like kind of how we're programmed culturally these days is that if you like something like and share, subscribe. Yeah, fandom is like half the, half the reason to to watch something. But you and I don't want to. I don't want to meet Monogatari fans. Like I'm no. glad that I'm friends with you, Jeff. <laughs> but like a stranger, if if they were like, oh man, my favorite anime series is Monogatari, I'm going to spend the rest of the party on the other side of the fucking house from them. Like I'm not talking to this freak. Yeah, what's wrong with them? Don't admit that in public. How dare you? Yeah, like Google, Kimoi. like in their weird like auto generated like recommendations algorithm, started sending me like like r slash araragi and r slash senjukihara posts from reddit and i was just like no stop it i don't want any of this shit fuck off <laughs> i mean to be fair the this the r <laughs> gonna gonna blow up my own spot here the r slash senjukihara and r slash hanakawa are like entirely just like yas queen <laughs> with senjukihara like it's actually fairly like positive depictions r slash aragi is probably garbage i can't imagine it's like who Who's like, yes, this is my identification point for the show. Like, it's, I will say that, like, 
if I take, I just thought of this now, but like if I take one thing away from from Monogatari, I appreciate a show that leaves me disgusted and alienated from all the men and sympathetic with all the women. It it reminds me of Mad Men in that respect of where like all the men are terrible. I don't I don't see myself in them. I mean, I recognize like elements, but like as as complete people, I don't see them there. I I see myself in the women and just having to deal with like male bullshit, not to the same degree, obviously as women do but like yeah i don't know like it there is a humanization in having just a patina of gross shit around everything because we live in a world that's full of gross shit so so that's kind of what i get out of it and i'm excited to watch more even though i think the best moments of the series are behind us yep it's a Uh, sad truth but until we watch them all over again for in betweens two, <laughs> always be rewatching mono guitar <laughs> <laughs> it, yep the best time to watch it is always the second time <laughs> yeah i'm well uh, the, i just wanted to say one more thing i'm glad i saw the show now and not when i was a lot younger like i think there should be like a licensing process for being allowed to watch the show and talk about it in public like you you need to be tr- you, you, you can only really show it to people that you can trust to understand that Aragi is not a good person you should not like this person even though the show says that he's the cool guy you should not believe it <laughs> I think people pick like everyone that I know who's watched this and granted, I just have like great taste in friends, but like people pick it up. It's hard to deal with Aragi's bullshit um, because so much like they, they trigger it in various ways of like the incest angles and the lowly angles of like, at some point you're going to hit a brick wall where you're like, this shit's wrong. (laughs) And then that's the point where you break up with Aragi and are open to the vast world of better characters. So (laughs) I don't know. I mean, yeah yeah reddit has shown me that that is not a universal experience unfortunately no so. <laughs> i mean don't 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 engage with any fandom ever <laughs> kill Period. all fandom yeah the yeah it's like death of the author and then death of the audience as well <laughs> just, just just kill all humanity except for you and the media work you're engaging with <laughs> Enter into a cave and come out three days later a reborn person, having consumed without hearing what people think you should like. Because, man, the things that people think are good about Monogatari are not the good things about Monogatari. In an incredibly banal statement by Ben (laughs) (laughs) And on that... And on that, rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. Find us on Twitter at KeyframesPod. Message us on Facebook. I don't know. At KeyframesPodcast. Just search for us. Uh, Or message us on our email which is sad and lonely so you should come find us and just like since the email that makes jeff defend his love of something super shitty that he said on this in between <laughs> or me i've said worse things by far uh at keyframes podcast at gmail.com and of course tell a friend about monogatari if they seem like an emotionally mature person who can handle some problematic scenes that aren't really a part of the main text of the show but are definitely part of the aesthetic that you're supposed to engage with All right. Say goodbye, Jeff. Goodbye. (laughs) Yeah, I yearn to be dragged, so uh, I definitely want people to send us all of our bad takes and make us defend them. That means we get to talk more about Monogatari. (laughs) I mean, I just, I just, I just have my my friends be like, "Really, Ben? You like the toothbrush scene?" I'm like, "It's not a bad scene." Bad people, not a bad scene. <laughs> look, look. Yeah, I'm gonna link you to a to a 18 page post. You read all that, 
And then you read the first like 20 comments and then we can talk about whether or not the toothbrush scene is bad or not. 